Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Let's take just a moment before we look into God's Word and pray for and bless our children. Kids, there's some coloring pages back there in the back, and uh, clipboards if you want to grab some of those if you haven't got them yet. You can follow along. In fact, some of the the fill-in-the-blanks that your mom and dad have in the bulletin are actually on that paper if you want to follow along as well. Well, Let's just take a minute and pray God's blessing on our children. God, we believe that these precious boys and girls are the most valuable resource you have given us for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel. Not for our enjoyment, not for our future plans and hopes that speak of ourself and our success. God, they have been given to us by you for a period of time that we might pour your word into them in such a way that they speak of who you are to this world. They speak of the great success of your gospel to this world. So we beg you as we do week after week, oh God, save our children. Holy, holy, holy God, who will demand perfect righteousness from everyone who stands before him, we pray, oh God, would you put the righteousness of Christ on our children. We can't teach them to be good enough, oh God, they need your righteousness. We cannot model righteousness good enough for them, they need Christ. So we beg you, sovereign Savior, save our kids. Open their ears and ours to hear your gospel. Open their eyes and ours to see Christ again. To have hearts that are changed by Christ. To have minds that are changed because of what we see in him and in his word. God, don't let us move from this spot until that's true. This time is holy. We set it apart for you. But we pray, Holy Spirit, would you invade this time? Would you break the barriers in our hearts and our minds that we have set up? Resistance. Some of us, week after week of coming to church and hearing the word preached, and yet our hearts and our minds have remained hardened. We pray, oh God, save and deliver. Oh God, let us leave changed and focused because of what we have seen and heard in your word. We ask it through Christ. Amen. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 112. We're going to be taking the first month of this year to examine the idea, what should it look like as people of faith? As people who believe certain things to be true about our God and this world and ourselves, what does it look like 
to be people of faith and look at the future, to be people of faith and look at our marriage or our singleness and dating? How should what we believe about God shape how you date single people? So as we spend this month doing that, I would just ask you to come with softened hearts and opened ears. It is so easy. I was just having a conversation before the service this morning. It is so easy to fall into a Facebook mentality in the real world, which is I no longer have conversations with anyone. I tolerate you speaking long enough that I can give you my propaganda rebuttal. It's my prepackaged answer to every question that you have. Anything I disagree with, we're no longer listening and considering, oh God, how do you want to shape our hearts and our lives? It's just simply us choosing sides. And I would beg you, let us come with softened hearts that at the end of this month, We can dive back into Hebrews as people whose lives and futures and marriages and families have been reshaped and molded by the gospel. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read all of Psalm 112 together. Standing as we honor the word of the Lord as perfect, infallible, the only solid anchor for our lives in this dark, uncertain world. Psalm 112, hear now the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the believing of his word. Amen. You may be seated. It's interesting, looking at a new year, how we attach positive and negative feelings associated with either that year or the year that has come. So I want to just ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. Just, Just think about the answer a little bit. What was the best year of your childhood and why? What made it the best year? What was, maybe, maybe you said, I had a rotten childhood, or maybe like me, you say, I can't remember my childhood. What's, what's been the best year of your life, and why? What was the worst year of your life, and why? I think that's important to think about, because as we look at the coming of a new year, even as rational adults, we tend to come with this sort of unbridled optimism or fear. Sort of two ends of the pendulum just swinging 
back and forth. And since we don't actually know what's coming, I remember the starry-eyed, you remember this? A year ago, the starry-eyed optimism of 2020. I think it's just because it sounded cool. Like it had this cool name, 2020. Like this is just going to be the best year ever. Uh, yeah, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what 2021 or any day or year promises after that. So how can we endure in difficult times to come? Now, we could spend the time talking about what are we going to do when the awesome times come, but let's face it, we tend to do pretty decent when the awesome times come, don't we? That boat just seems to sail on its own. What do you do when your boat starts leaking? That's what we need to consider ahead of time. Where does the source of Christian life come from? That's such an important question. What, where does the source of Christian life come from? Does it come from the blessing of having everything be the way I want it? I talked to somebody yesterday who said, I just don't like change and I refuse to go along with it. It's probably not healthy living in 2020 or 2021. Uh, it seems like things change all the time. Uh, look with me, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. This is going to point us towards where our hope actually lies. Hebrews 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and actually flip to it. I want you to see these. They're, these scripture references are listed in your bulletin, so you can find them, remember them later, but Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, reminds us, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I love those words. This hope that we have is not ours. It belonged to someone else who set it in front of you. It's like the father who puts the goal at the end of the race so his son or daughter might run towards it. Our hope has been set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And he's going to go on to say that is Jesus, our great high priest. The hymn writer Cyrus Hurlbut, which did not do good things for him in junior high, I guarantee it. In 1899 wrote a hymn called Hope, the Anchor of the Soul. I I want you to just listen to these words. And when this tenement of dust in which I live resigns its trust, and angels bear me hence away to realms of everlasting day, and when God's right hand I see, the one who bore the cross for me, and hope shall end in joyful strain, I will sing forever, Jesus reigns. Oh, what is the hope? What is the strength for every Christian? It is not that this year and this life will turn out as we have imagined. It is the truth that Jesus reigns. This is one of the fill in the blanks for you. The Christian hope is forever anchored in the unshakable truth that Jesus reigns. Kids, think with me. What does it mean for a king to reign over his kingdom? It means he sits upon the throne as the supreme. No one is bigger. No one is more powerful. Jesus reigns over all. Look back at Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. This is a refrain we find again and again in the Psalms, but especially in Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119 is the longest uh, psalm in all of the, the collection of songs we find in that book. And yet it does not shy away from real life struggles. Psalm 119 verse 28 says this, My soul melts away for sorrow. Anyone ever felt like that? so heavy. It's so dark. It's so seemingly impossible that my soul melts away for sorrow. And yet here's what he does again and again. It's the, it's the repeating refrain in this song, strengthen me according to your word. God, my heart is melting. Today we would call that anxiety or depression. And what is the remedy? Strengthen me according to your word. There are many people in the church who are fearful of this coming year. That's true of the church in general. It's true of our church. Can I just make a suggestion to us as a friendly face uh, who happens to have the microphone right now? Some of us need to fast from social media and whatever news outlet you happen to prefer. Fox News, CNN. Some of you need to fast from that. Maybe all of us need to fast from that. We're all really good at making New Year's resolutions that last about two weeks. So how about that one? Let's just make that last for two weeks. Uh, about a two-week break in social media or whatever news outlet you have. In case you're like, <laughs> I don't need that. Let's take a little self-inventory, shall we? Here's a little self-test. If you have ingested, I, I love the idea as I was writing this of ingesting eating something. Imagine that uh, after your Christmas family gathering, everyone who ate off this particular plate of turkey or ham or whatever it is that you had was violently sick and, well, I won't go into detail, but just whatever violently sick looks like for you. And you said, listen, I know that everyone who ate this got violently sick, including myself, but I mean, we got leftovers. It's what we have to eat. And, you know, I need food. I, I need to eat this. We would say that person is a great fool, wouldn't we? How many of you have ingested something this week in social media or whatever your favorite news outline is or, that made you angry or fearful or despondent to the place where you were deceived into believing that the bad guys are in control and probably not God in this moment? You know that happens when your heart starts feeling desperate and hopeless and disconnected. And what, what happens is you want to start disconnecting from certain people in your life. Here's what I would beg you. Stop. Just for two weeks. Just see how it goes. Don't eat off this plate for two weeks and see if you maybe feel a tiny bit better. See if your paranoia for the future gets a tiny bit better. Here's what the psalm says, the heart of the righteous. By the way, this is, this is the guy who's going through the same pressures, the same troubles where he describes my soul is melting, same calamities, but Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. This year, allow God's word to be the anchor of your soul, not Fox News. 
Fox News has promised nothing to you except that you get to decide. Look at the promise from God's word in Psalm 112, verse 2. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, righteous. It is well with the man who deals graciously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. This is not a promise of health and wealth, TV, preacher, prosperity. All right, let's make sure we have that on the table. This is the same guy who just said, my heart is melting within me. Such sorrow, such anguish that my heart melts, and yet he says, I will fix my eyes on God and the God of his word. Here's the reality. Because we live in a fallen world, Christians will face many, if not all, of the same adversities that the rest of the world will face. In fact, I would argue they're going to face more because they're Christians. Here's a promise Jesus has made to you. I think I listed these in your bulletin just so you can go home and read them and be encouraged. John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Pastor. Man, this is I'm so glad I came. Uh, Matthew 10, You will be hated by everyone because of me. Not only do you get coronavirus pandemic, election chaos, you get to be hated by everyone because you're a follower of Jesus. All right. Take heart, though. He's going to go on to say, because I've overcome the world. Take heart, though, because the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So here's the question. If we know that, if we know that Jesus promised in this world we'll have trouble, why do we see so many Christians fall? And so few stand firm to the end. Oh, they they may stand firm as believers and lay there in their casket and we say, oh, he was such a good guy. Uh, And yet we see the, the everyday failings that we have one with another. Why does that happen? Well, here's one of the reasons. This is another fill in the blank for you. Quote from Paul Washer. He says, the gospel invitation is not to bow your head and raise your hand and pray this prayer or come forward. The gospel invitation is to repent. It's the word I want you to write down. Repent. And believe the gospel. And by the way, that comes with great urging and great warning. Oh, should we fail to repent? Should we fail? What, what does repent mean, church? To turn. Should we fail to turn from our sin and just think it's good enough that I one time prayed a prayer and now I come to church every Sunday? That should come with great warning. You are not assured of your salvation because moved by a moment you prayed a prayer and thereafter attended even faithfully a church. No, our confidence lies in the completed work of Christ on your behalf and the continued work of the Holy Spirit within you to put sin to death and to put on Christ-likeness. I'm going to read that one more time because this this is way better and way more difficult than everybody who wants to go to heaven. Raise your hand, repeat after me, and come down to this altar. Here's why I think we see so many false conversions in the church because everybody wants to go to heaven, 
But as Bob Dylan said, not everybody wants to die. And yet to be a Christian, Jesus said, you have to take up your cross, die to yourself daily, and follow me. Here's what it really looks like. It is an unshakable confidence in the completed work of Christ and the continued work of the Holy Spirit. That Christ has completed his work upon the cross on your behalf, and the Holy Spirit continues to work within you. Not used to work a long time ago, and now I pretty much got it sorted out, is continuing to work to put sin to death and to put on Christ's likeness. And therefore, I would beg you, the beginning of this new year, examine yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Will Christians face difficult times, uncertain times, even fearful times? The answer is yes. But know this, whether I live or die, I will sing forever, Jesus reigns. What lies ahead of us in 2021 or the years after, I don't know, but Jesus reigns. That's our song we can sing for all of eternity starting now. Psalm 112, verse 6, for the righteous will never be moved. Look at me, just a second. How many of you felt moved? Just be honest. Don't raise your hand because the person next to you will judge you and look down on you. But how many of you felt moved and shaken and fearful just a little bit watching the election unfold? Look at verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. What does that tell us? It tells us we're holding on to the wrong thing. If our God is unshakable, if our God is unmovable, as we cling to him, we will never be moved. This doesn't mean we don't go through difficulties. It doesn't mean we don't face uncertain and even fearful days. It means we don't have to be shaken. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. How many of you felt a little bit afraid watching some of the bad news unfold? His heart is firm. Why? Trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. In fact, that's one of the fill in the blanks for you in your bulletin. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. We're not going to really talk about this, but can, can I just put a parenthesis in here? Uh, that's not talking about people on the opposite political side from you. Till I see every Democrat fall. I won't Every Republican goes to, you know, whatever side you want to stand on, that's not what it's pointing at. We talked about last week that we actually have a very real enemy, the enemy of your soul, who would love nothing more than to take fear and bring you down and bring your family down and bring the church down. Look at this word steady in verse 8 just for a second. That Hebrew word steady, some of you, your translations say things like firm or steadfast or fixed. It's actually a passive verb. It's not, it's not an active verb. It's not you doing something. It's a passive verb that just means this, upheld. Upheld. This isn't you doing anything. This is you being upheld. This is you being caught. This is what my grandson wants most of the time. For someone to grab him 
and hold him. He's not an active participant. In, some, in fact, most of the time, he's not helpful in this process, kicking and squirming and doing all kinds of stuff. It, it means that someone else has to hold tightly to him. That's the picture of what God does to us in our faith. He will be upheld. This same word appears again and again in the Psalms. Why is it that every Psalm seems to say, the world is crashing down around me, and yet I will hope in God because of this idea. We are upheld by him. Psalm 37, verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Same word. Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And same word, uphold me with a willing spirit. Why do you have a willing spirit to keep going? Because our God upholds you. Psalm 54, verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder or lifter of my life. Psalm 119, verse 16, Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Psalm 3, verse 5, I will lay down, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustains me. Same word. Are you getting a reoccurring pattern in the Psalms? The Psalms that speak of darkness and yet great hope, it is because they know our God holds them. The Christian strength is not my ability to hold tight to God or family or anything else in this world, but the God holds tight to me. The all, oh, oh, consider. The all wise the all-powerful, the all-loving king over all will sustain us day and night, whatever may come. Marshall Siegel said this, if we want a steady heart in an unsteady world, among unsteady people during unsteady days, we need to be upheld. We need to know that we are upheld and will be upheld. That's it. That's our hope. What is our only hope in life and death? That we belong to the one who holds us. No matter what we face. By the way, whether we believe this or not is going to be reflected in how we live and how we give. That's what the rest of this psalm is going to say. He's going to say, here's how you're going to see the marks of this in a Christian life. Not what they talk about, not what they post on Facebook. It's not what their t-shirts look like. It's how they live in hope or the lack thereof and how they give generously to the world around them. Look, look with me in verse 9. This is, this is almost strange. If we don't consider how these two things are connected, this seems like a left turn that the psalmist makes. Verse 9, he says, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Now let's be, let's be super clear. Even in just this past year, for some of us, it's been more than that, but in just this past year, we have faced very real fears. A life-threatening virus, extended lockdowns, closed-up businesses, lost jobs, raging wildfires out west, police shootings and violence surrounding that, violent uh, riots, 
bitter politics, angry debates, and add to that whatever each of us has carried before our world was thrown into that disorder. We have gone through some very real things, and for many are still in the midst of that. And yet, if this is true, if it's true that the hope for the Christian is the fact that our God holds us and upholds us, then how we live and how we give to those around us In fact, I would say our giving is even more indicative, our generosity of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Distinguishes us as God's people because of our hope in God's eternal supply. That God is not about to run out, and so I better hoard this for myself. No, in fact, he says he distributes freely. This is about giving. Doesn't that seem strange to anybody else? Like, it should be righteousness. He he does what's right and doesn't do what's wrong. He says, no, the mark is giving. Because in giving, I am acknowledging my God is my supply. My God is in control of the things that I am not in control of. He distributes freely while others hoard and fear. He gives to the poor. It seems like that's the type of thing everybody can get behind nowadays, doesn't it? Giving, being generous, charitable acts of kindness. In fact, we talked about last week, most of the world views that as the true meaning of Christmas. Be nicer to people. Be more generous to people. I actually think it goes farther than that. Most of the world views that as their true act of worship. This is what makes me a good person. This is what makes me right and acceptable before God or the universe. If I can be more giving, if I can support this cause or save this planet or on and on, whatever the the cause is, then I will be counted righteous. I will be accepted before God, small g, or Mother Earth, or fellow man, or whoever I believe to be judging me. But here is where the real distinction between God's people and the world actually lies. We don't believe that giving or any act of kindness saves us at all. Here's a little bit of a shocker for you. Uh, Giving and acts of kindness don't even make you a better person. They don't. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous acts are like filthy rags, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No, we live and we give to demonstrate the righteousness and the love of Christ that we have been given. We can do the exact same acts as the world around us, only for completely different reasons. Because my living and my giving are meant to point to Jesus. And what is the world's response to that? What is the world's response when Christians give in a way that points to our Savior? Verse 10 says, the wicked man sees it, and is angry. That should, that should catch our attention. He gives. He's generous. He distributes his wealth to the poor. And what does the wicked do? He sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. Why? Because the wicked hates God. He hates the God that this generosity, that this giving, that this hope is pointing to. And all of his desires for himself, Psalm 112 tells us, will perish. Oh, but for the elect, for those who seek to honor God, his righteousness endures.
forever. There is a connection between our righteousness that has been imputed, given to us in Christ, and our trust and hope and obedience in giving. We're going to close with this. Another quote from Marshall Siegel. He says, Viruses will spread and be cured. Elections will come and go. Nations will rise and fall. But those who trust in the Lord, who fear Him, obey Him, and wait for His return shall renew their strength. While others are weighed down with worldly concerns, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. While others are exhausted by their fears and troubles, they shall run and not be weary. When others give up and walk away, they shall walk and not faint. So here's what I want to ask you to do as individuals and families. I want you to spend some time later today not raising your hand and coming forward and making a momentary decision. Would you make a lifetime decision that's going to be step after step after step to trust in God's Word, to gather your family around God's Word? Would you read together Psalm 34? And after you read it, take some time and talk about what are some of the troubles, afflictions that our family has gone through in this past year. What does it mean that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing? It's one of the promises in there. What what does that mean? Does that mean we get everything that we want? What do we need to do in our day of trouble to take refuge in Him? If that's what Christians are supposed to do, take refuge in God, what does that actually look like? And then pray. In fact, if you have many people in your family, uh, assign several of these to different maybe kids who are in your family. Pray and ask God to remind us, here's, here's one, that he's in control. That he is good. Ask God to remind us that he cares for us. Ask God to remind us to call on him in our time of need. Oh, let us make a decision as families at the beginning of this new year to put our hope in an unshakable God. Worship team, if you'd come on up. As they're coming, I want to just read to you from Psalm 34. Just a few verses. When you get home, read the whole thing. Let me read to you just a few verses. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, Christian, taste and see that the Lord is good. Stop tasting of the world. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In the future, in this coming year, let us put our hope and our trust in the saving, keeping power of our God.
May we daily, not, not once, a long time ago, may we daily, not even by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, put sin to death and put on Christ. May we give generously because our source is not ourself, it is our God. May we live lives that reflect the gospel of our salvation. Whether we face in this coming year blessing, or heartache, and difficulty, may we choose to trust the Lord our God. Would you stand with me? I want us to do something that we have not done very often recently, and that is as we sing, we're going to take communion together. So we'll take up the offering at the same time. There's offering boxes at the front uh, and then the communion on both sides. I think it's important for us at the beginning of this year to remind ourselves physically that you're not alone. That's one of the pictures of communion, that we have been joined and united with Christ, but he has done it in such a way that we are reminded that we are joined and united with each other. Whether this year brings blessing and an opportunity for you to be generous and bless others, which, by the way, stick around for the members' meeting, because I've got awesome news to share with you when it comes to that. Or whether you and your family go through difficulty, and what you need is other brothers and sisters to surround you, let us remind ourselves that in Christ we are not alone. That we have been joined, and our hope is not in how good things will go for us, is that our sovereign God loves us and is working all things together for good.